We're going to hear a little bit of Paul's fantastic speaking skills this morning from Acts 24. Uh, we're going to take a look at the whole chapter, a whole chapter of uh, 24 of the book of Acts. And we're making our way through and we're wrapping the book of Acts up here in the next few weeks. Um, to kind of give us the, the setting, the context of where we're at in the book right now, um, Pastor Kevin covered a lot of ground last week for us as, as um, two weeks ago we heard of Paul's uh, the end of his last missionary journey and his desire, his, his longing to go to Jerusalem. We, we remember, Paul's a Jew. He doesn't stop being a Jew ever. And, and so he longs to go to Jerusalem and go to the temple and worship in the temple. He longs to be there where his people are. And as he's getting ready to go and he's telling um, the people that he's going, a lot of them are, they know, right? They remember this. They know that, that Paul is... is He's, he's the, the number one on the hit list, right? They don't like him there in Jerusalem. The religious leaders are after him. And, and we hear, heard from last week from Pastor Kevin how Paul does go there. He wants to go and he goes there. And while he is there worshiping, not causing really any trouble at all, he's arrested. Um, he's imprisoned. And he ends up being kind of taken over by the Roman guard because Paul mentions he's a Roman citizen. And so he has some privilege there to, to be protected by Rome, uh, by, by the Roman military there. And so the, 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 uh, the Roman military leader there in Jerusalem takes him because they hear of a plot. There's a plot to kill Paul, to assassinate him. And so uh, they, they take him and they, they protect him. And the Roman military leader there decides to send Paul to Caesarea. Now, in Caesarea, that's where the, the governor is kind of hanging out. The governor named Felix is. And so he's being sent to Caesarea to be tried there in front of the governor. Again, Paul's a Roman citizen, and it's a privilege for him. He, he gets a little bit of privilege there being a Roman citizen. The empire is going to take him seriously, or going to, at the very least, um, supposedly give him a free trial because he's a Roman citizen. Nobody, who's, nobody from Judea who doesn't have that Roman citizenship would get that privilege, but Paul gets it. Um, we cannot escape. I've told you this over and over again in the book of Acts. We cannot escape the prison, as we'll see once again. Paul is in prison, and we cannot escape the prison. The church cannot escape the prison in the book of Acts. Before we read that chapter, chapter 24, let us pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 24, I allow you to remain seated for this long text. Five days later, this is five days after Paul's been arrested um, in Jerusalem. Five days later, he's arrived at Caesarea. The priest Ananias came down with some of the elders and an attorney, a certain Tertullius. And they reported their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Your Excellency, because of you we have long enjoyed peace and reforms have been made for this people because of your foresight. We welcome this in every way and everywhere with utmost gratitude. But to detain, to detain you no further, I beg you to hear us briefly with your customary graciousness. We have, in fact, found this man a pestilent fellow, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and so we seized him. 
By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn from him concerning everything of which we accuse him. The Jews there also joined in the charge by asserting that all of this was true. When the governor motioned to him to speak, Paul replied, I cheerfully make my defense, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation. As you can find out, it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd either in the synagogues or throughout the city. Neither can they prove to you the charge that they now bring against me. But this I do admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our ancestors, believing everything laid down according to the law or written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, a hope that they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteousness and the unrighteous. Therefore, I do my best always to have a clear conscience toward God and all my people. Now, after some years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to offer sacrifices. While I was doing this, they found me in the temple, completing the rite of purification without any crowd or disturbance. But there were some Jews from Asia. They ought to be here before you to make an accusation if they have anything against me. Or let these men here tell what crime they had found when I stood before the council, unless it was that one sentence that I, that I called out while standing before them. It is about the resurrection of the dead that I am now on trial before you today. But Felix, who was rather well informed about the way, adjourned the hearing with a comment. When Lasius, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he ordered the centurion to keep him in custody, but to let him have some liberty and not prevent any of his friends from taking care of his needs. Some days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him speak concerning the faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing justice, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. And for that very reason, he used to send for Paul every so often and converse with him. After two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and since he wanted to grant the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the written word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Again, such a great example of how good of a speaker Paul is. He is very talented. Um, Our story here begins with Paul in prison once again. Once again, a disciple of Christ is in prison. In Caesarea here, uh, in prison, a trial begins to take place before Felix, Felix being the governor of Judea, all of the, the, Ju- the, the, the Jewish um, area of Judea. He, he serves as the governor there, and since he serves as the governor there, he would also serve as, as the person who would be a judge, for, especially for cases like this involving a Roman citizen. And so there in Caesarea, we see this trial take place. Paul is accused of a couple of things that the Roman Empire would have taken very seriously. These things that they, they say that Paul has done, that the Romans would have taken serious. We, we've talked some about the Roman Empire. They do not put up with any sort of, um, uh, any sort of disruption to their peace, to their version of peace, the Pax Romana. The Jewish leaders there, they've hired themselves a lawyer. Uh, the, the Greek word there is actually um, orator, where we get our word for, for orator, someone who's really good at talking. And, and it's, it's understood in, in Greek times and Roman times that this 
orators were usually lawyers. They served as lawyers. They were really good at putting together speeches that would accuse people of different crimes in order to get them um, get them uh, trialed and tried and, and punished, or the other way around to defend someone who is being accused of something. And so we see this Tertullus, this lawyer, this attorney, come hired by the, the leaders of the religious the religious leaders to make their case against Paul. I want to take a look, break that argument down that's made made towards uh, t- against Paul. So Tertullus begins with this opening flattery. It's really, really kind of humorous. Uh, he, he begins by, in verses 2 through 4, by buttering up Felix, right? This is the attempt that he makes. He says, Your Excellency, because of you we have long enjoyed peace and reforms have been made for the people of Judea because of your foresight. We welcome this in every way because of all that you've done. We are here with gratitude. We won't, don't want to detain you any further, he says. Like, we beg you to hear this and your customary graciousness. Now, what's so funny about this, what's so funny about this buttering up that he does is that it's not true. None of it is true. Felix, historically, if you read about Felix, the governor of Judea, what you find is he didn't do any of this. He was actually not a very good governor. He was very selfish. He was very corrupt. He was not a good governor at all. He was not good at keeping peace in Judea. Now, Judea in the Roman Empire was particularly known for their revolts. They were, as the people of God, they, they had a lot of pride in their nation, and they, they, were, they, they constantly were revolting. And so when someone in the Judean area, like Paul, gets accused of doing this, they're going to listen up because Judea is known for this. And, and most of the governors that were put in charge of the Judean area would have been put in charge there with a the primary goal of keeping those revolts down, keeping people from getting too crazy. And it turns out that, that Felix was not good at this at all. He actually was constantly provoking the, the Judeans to revolt even more than they already were. There's uh, one point in time he, tried, he actually successfully hires someone to assassinate and kill one of the high priests. Um, and, and, and then later on, there was a dispute between the Jews and the Syrians. The Syrians were just above Judea. There was a dispute for, from some of those people. And, and he takes advantage of this and, and uses it as a way to go in and, and uh, steal from uh, many of the Judeans and the Syrians. He plundered the inhabitants, and this is actually what led to him being removed as governor. He's not a good governor at all. These buttering up that Tertullus does for him is not true. Peace has not been experienced under the reign of Felix and Judea. And so this, this kind of lie almost just to try and butter him up so hopefully they can gain some support from him. That's the goal there that, that this lawyer does. And then Tertullus turns to the accusations against Paul, which there's really two. There's two accusations that they're making against Paul. The first we hear, he says, we, found, we find this man a pestilent fellow. Again, Romans would have taken this seriously. We do not want any pestilent fellows. He's an agitator among Jews throughout the world, not just in Judea, but throughout the Roman world. They, he's, he's agitated Jews. He's a ringleader of a sect of Nazarenes. Now that is, again, language that would have jumped out to Felix. It was usually the sects of, sects of Judaism that would result in revolts of different kinds. And so the, this, this language was strong that, that they're accusing Paul of. He would have been taking it seriously. They would not want to mess around with Paul if these accusations are true. So that's the first accusation, that he's, he's causing disruption. He's going to make a mess of things. If you don't put him down, if you don't uh, put an end to him, then he's going to cause a mess of things. The second thing that he is accused of is that he's profaning the temple. 
They say he's even tried to profane the temple. This is what we led. This is what led us to seize him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn from him concerning all of this that we are accusing him of. His hope there, Tertullus' hope is that Paul is going to slip up. He's going to accidentally uh, um, say something that that causes him to be um, uh, found guilty or that he's going to just go ahead and admit his wrongdoing. And so that's why he says there that that all you got to do is examine him and you'll find all this to be true. And so we, we have these two accusations that he's a pestilent fellow, that he's causing problems in the world, and that he's profaned the temple. Which, once again, while the, the Romans didn't really care about Jews that much, they didn't really care about Judaism, Judaism had a certain privilege in the Roman Empire. And so they would have been, they, they had kind of afforded this sort of protection from the Roman Empire. They wanted to keep the Jews happy so that the Jews didn't revolt. And so if anybody came along and profaned the temple, once again, the Romans are going to take that seriously. So these are two accusations that the Romans would have taken serious, okay? Now, Paul, all by himself, apparently no right to an attorney, or at least he doesn't have one, he begins his defense. He begins his defense arguments, and I don't know if you noticed, but his defense is way longer than the accusations made against him. And he speaks so well. He does not even need a lawyer. He does not need an orator. Um, We know that Paul is not alone, though, right? Paul has the Spirit with him. And so he speaks these words. He begins with what could perhaps be taken as flattery of Felix, but not really. He doesn't butter up Felix like the um, the typical speech would have. He says, I cheerfully make my defense knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation. He's not saying you've been a good judge. He's not saying you've been a good uh, ruler. He's not saying you've done a good job governing this area. He's just saying you've been doing it for a while. So, you know, I'm glad to present this evidence to you. And so that's all he says in that regard. He doesn't spend too much time buttering up Felix because he knows that there's not a good case against him. And that's what he really needs to focus on. So now, perhaps, um, perhaps it's just Luke giving more of Paul's defense, more of the details of Paul's defense than Tertullus' accusations. But you can see just how much more Paul says about his defense than Tertullus is able to say. He says, now you aren't going to be, um, you're not going to be able to, to, uh, to try me and find me guilty now. And so he goes through his argument. He begins his argument. Now, remember, Paul doesn't stop being Jew. I've said that over and over again. I've said that to you already this morning. Paul doesn't stop being a Jew whenever he begins following Christ. He has that longing to go back to the temple. All he wants to do is worship just like every other Jewish person is worshiping. And so he points out that while he is there in Jerusalem worshiping, he's not doing anything. He's just going through the, the, the ritual of being clean so that he can go in and worship in the temple. That's all he does. But it's actually them, the ones who are accusing him, of being, uh, being a pestilent fellow. They're the ones that riled up the crowd against Paul. He says, he, he addresses this. He says that I was just there doing what I was supposed to do. I was just there being a good citizen. He says, I was offering my tithes. I was offering my taxes, however you want to phrase it. I was offering alms to my nation. I was offering sacrifices. This is what you do as a good Jewish person. All I was doing was being a good Jewish man. And they riled them up. They riled the crowds up. And the crowds, the people that riled the crowds up, they're not even here. So everything that's been said to you is hearsay. It's a hearsay argument. It's, it's nothing. They're not even here to accuse me themselves. And so Paul addresses that accusation that Christianity is a sect. He says, uh, it, which could be another word of heresy. It's a, a heresy of Judaism, that he's a leader of it. He says this, But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our ancestors. He says, I follow the law. I follow the words of the prophets. 
I have a hope in God, the same hope that they have, that resurrection will happen. Again, he's saying, all I'm doing is being a good Jewish man. In other words, my faith in Jesus, my following the way of Jesus, has actually just made me a better Jew. I'm actually doing this more faithfully. I'm not profaning the temple. I'm not doing any of these things they've accused me of. Paul has masterfully masterfully laid out his defense in such a way that he legally defends himself, and he also gets to bear witness to Christ in the middle of it. He undermines his accusers' arguments by making the point that they are they are just making shaky hearsay arguments and accusations. So he goes on without lying. He doesn't lie. He doesn't play into the hand in any way. He just tells the honest truth. Paul shows that his imprisonment is unjust. The accusations made against him are false. The people who are accusing him aren't even here to make the accusations. And so that he refuses to play into this fear and unrighteousness. The judge, Felix, though, despite Paul's faithfulness, despite Paul's, um, Paul's defense, Paul's proof that, he, that there is no, nothing against him, the judge, Felix, pushes off the ruling and he doesn't really want to deal with it. Now, why is this? Why would Felix not want to say, yeah, you're, you're innocent. This is, an, this is an unjust accusation being made. Well, it's because of a couple things. First, This supposed fair trial isn't fair at all. The point Felix needs to do more than anything is keep the Jews from being angry with him. And so he's got to do exactly what Pilate does with Jesus, right? Jesus isn't found guilty of anything, but he's tried and killed because because Pilate doesn't want the people to get mad, right? They don't want an uprising against the Roman Empire. They're dealing with that enough as it is. And so Paul, again, he shows that he's he's innocent, but Felix continues to push this off. He doesn't want to deal with this. Now, I think what is so heartbreaking about this whole story is that it is the people of God, God's people, Israel, the Jewish people, God's chosen people who are falsely accusing Paul, a man who is just trying to be a faithful Jew and doing it by following Christ. They do this to Paul, again, for the same reason they do it to Jesus. They unjustly attack Jesus, and they unjustly attack Paul and accuse Paul. They do it for the same reason that they did it to Jesus. They're threatened. The religious leaders are threatened. They're fearful. They don't want to lose their power. They don't want to lose their nation to the Romans any more than they already have. They're scared. They're playing into a politics of fear whenever they begin to accuse Paul in this way. They're responding the old way. They're playing into the old ways, the old ways, the power of Satan, the tempter, the world's ways of justice, where the privileged and powerful and wealthy have an upper hand, where injustice rules. That's, where, that's what the people of God are doing in this story. God's own chosen people, the leaders of God's nation, the religious leaders are playing by the old way, the old ways of injustice. This is heartbreaking because the law, God's law, is clear. It's not just Jesus brings in this this beautiful justice, right? The law and the prophets are clear. Don't bear false witness. Don't miscarry justice. This is throughout God's scripture in the Old Testament. Don't miscarry justice. Don't bear false witness. They attempt to play the Roman game of justice, the the world's way of justice, the people of God. They have fallen into the trap of playing by the world's ways of justice. But Paul refuses to do this. 
Paul refuses to do this. He tells the truth in his defense. He's completely honest. He, he does not bend words. He does not manipulate any truth. He tells the truth. I'm a faithful Jew and I'm more faithful because I'm following Christ. And so after he has denied justice, he's put in prison for two years. Two years he suffers imprisonment. He still, throughout those two years, refuses to be brought into the old way of injustice, self-preservation, and unrighteousness. Look at the last part of the passage again. Some days later, after the trial, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a Jew, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him speak concerning faith in Christ Jesus. Sounds like Felix is really interested in the gospel. He wants to know more about what Paul is talking about. That's what the reader is set up to believe here. And as Paul discussed justice, self-control, and the coming judgment. That's the gospel right there. Justice, as in Christ's justice, as in the justice that God brings into the world through Christ. Self-control, as in the the Christian life, the way that we are called to holiness and self-control, and then coming judgment. So it's the beginning of our faith as Christians. It's the middle of our faith, walking with Christ in self-control. And it's the end of our faith when coming judgment happens, is coming. And so it's Paul just talking about the gospel, just telling Felix and his wife about the gospel. It's in that explanation of those principles of justice, self-control, and coming judgment that Felix gets scared. (laughs) Felix, an unrighteous judge, Someone who lives by the old ways of the world, he is uh, frightened, of course. Felix became frightened, we're told. He said, go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, I will send for you. And so we think, oh, he's just responding to the gospel in this way. And perhaps maybe he'll uh, he'll turn things around. No. Luke tells us, and we don't know how Luke knows this, but Luke knows it. And Luke tells us, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. He wanted a bribe. He wanted Paul to come up with some cash for him. And here's the thing. Paul had access to money. The church by now is is growing and and they're supporting each other throughout the world. They're collecting money to feed each other. We've heard about that in in the book of Acts. The, The church has expanded all over the world. If Paul wanted to get out, if Paul wanted to play by the old ways of injustice, he could have. He could have. We're already told back in um, verse 23 that Paul has the liberty of seeing his friends. So Paul very well could have said, hey, guys, I need y'all to go out, go to the Jerusalem church, go to the Antioch church, go to the church in Ephesus and in Asia, go, to, go throughout the world where the church has been spread and collect an offering because the judge will let me go if I can just give him some cash. He could have done that. He had the resources. He had access to that, but he refuses. He refuses to be brought into the old way of injustice. Again, he could have done this, but Paul refuses to play by the old ways. Paul represents the way of Christ. Paul is living in the way of Christ, the new way of Christ, the way of the church. A resistance of the old way, a refusal to play by the rules of the old. Paul chooses the way of Christ. He doesn't use the power of of words that he clearly possesses. He doesn't use the power of the purse, which he has access to. To get out of this trouble, but rather he, he has been brought into the way of the new. And in Acts, we constantly see that the way of the new is in line with prison. Constantly being imprisoned because of faithfulness. Paul chooses the way of Christ. This is the way of the church. 
We've seen throughout Acts, those who have resisted the way of Jesus are the ones that are actually living into mob violence and injustice. It's those that are resisting the way of Jesus that react poorly to the way of Jesus. Jesus' people simply proclaim a way of life and they leave the door open for people to come in. That's all Jesus' people have done. They resist the power of evil. And while, and while this causes trouble for them by the old ways, it is always those stuck in the old ways that are doing the troublemaking. They are the ones always responding. Remember just a few weeks ago we were in Ephesus. All Paul was doing was spreading the gospel. A gospel of peace and, and nonviolence in, the, in that world. And it's the Ephesians who respond violently. It is not Paul. Paul is not causing trouble throughout the world. It's those that are resisting the new way, this new way of life. They're stuck in the old ways of injustice and wealth and, and, and the power of Satan. But Christ has called Paul and the other believers into a new way of leaving the door open for all to come in, but not doing it forcefully, not, not imposing their will on anyone as the old way would have them do. Paul's prison letters really do a good job demonstrating to us just how free he was. Now, Paul is in prison for at least two years. We, as we'll find out next week, he's really in prison for longer than that. So this leads most scholars to believe that this is probably when Paul wrote most of what's known as the prison letters. And so that's uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. These are all written by Paul while he's in prison. He, he says that in those letters. Listen to how Paul describes his situation in prison. And we just assume that this is right now. When Paul is in, these, in prison these two years, these are words that he's writing. Colossians 1 and, and even chapter 2. I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, Paul says. I'm rejoicing and my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and those in Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. It's words of Paul when he's in prison. Listen to this from, chapter, from Ephesians chapter, chapter 4. He says, So I am telling you this, and I insist on it. You shouldn't live your lives like the Gentiles anymore. They're living in the old way. Don't live in the old way anymore. They base their lives on pointless thinking. They are in the dark in their reasoning. They are disconnected from God's life because of their ignorance and their closed hearts. Paul's got to be talking about Felix here. He's got to be talking about Felix. Ignorant, he's closed hearted. They are people who lack all sense of right and wrong. He's talking about Felix here. And those who have turned themselves over to doing whatever feels good and to practicing every sort of corruption along with greed. He's got to be talking about Felix right here when he's writing this. That's got to be who's on his mind. It goes on. There's more. Uh, there's more about this from from the other uh, the other text from Philippians and Philemon. He he addresses how he is feeling while he is in prison. Yes, he's suffering. He acknowledges that it's suffering, but he also could not be more joyful in his writing to the church and the spread of the church and hearing of the spread of the church. It goes on, but the point is, is that Paul, imprisoned unjustly, is more free than Felix or the religious leaders will ever be because he is free in Christ. He has resisted and refused the old way of living, and that is what is giving him freedom. Not his state of where his home is, if he's in prison or free, but the fact that he has found freedom in Christ, living in the new way, refusing the ways of injustice, that causes 
Paul to be more free than Felix, this ruler, or the religious leaders who are accusing Paul. He is living in the new way of Christ, the way of Jesus. It's foolishness to the Greeks. It's a stumbling block for the Jews because the Greeks and Jewish leaders are living in the old ways. That is why it is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block for the Jews. That's why Felix cannot accept it. Because this message of of self-control, this message of justice, this message of righteousness that Paul proclaims to him, that just doesn't work out in his old way of living. It It would require him to change too much. And so Paul, living in the new way, calls Felix and others into the new way. And whenever they are so captured by the old way of living, of greed, of self-preservation, of unrighteousness, they resist, sometimes violently, to people like Paul. And here's the thing. Acts has not allowed us to escape the prison. This isn't the first time we've seen the prison in Acts. The call of the church, the life of holiness, which we've been singing about. I I think what this text is really about and why I, I... talked about the theme of holiness in this message is that this is what it looks like for the church to be holy. Acts chapter 24, this is what it looks like for the church, for Christians to be holy. Paul is representing the church for us. It's the call of the church, the life of holiness to be called out from the old ways, to be made separate from the ways of grasping for power and reacting out of fear. Paul demonstrates the place of the church. He demonstrates where the church is supposed to be. Our place is not in the seats of power that demand us to live in the old ways. Our place is in the place of rejection by the worldly systems of power. That's what this text is. That's what Acts is all about. Rejected by the, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Rejected by the Roman leaders throughout the world. Rejected by people who are in the old way, who are operating in the old systems of power. Our place is not there. Our place is not there in the seats of power that demand us to live in the old way. Our place is in the place of rejection by those powers. If we are not being rejected by those powers, those ways of existing, then we are not truly following Christ. We have spent so much time, the church has, I believe, spent so much time grasping for worldly power. I think we've lost our place at times. Our place of being a radical counterculture and resistant to the old ways of power. We have to gain that back in order for us to have a credible witness in our world. Brian Zond, a pastor, theologian in Missouri, you've heard me quote from him before. He says, whenever Christianity has the full support of the state, it inevitably becomes weak and compromised. Prior to Christ's return, Christianity must remain a radical counterculture and endure whatever persecution comes because of that. Our place is not in the seat of power that is corrupt. We should not be striving for that as the church. This is the message of Acts in the whole New Testament, which consistently demonstrates that the church is rejected by the old. Not accepted, it's rejected by the old. For us, as we look around at the changing world, we must not react out of fear as the church is pushed to the margins of society. Acts bears witness. The New Testament bears witness. The Gospels bear witness to the fact that the church belongs in the margins of society. That is where the church grows the quickest, is in the margins of society. Acts bears witness to the truth that it is at the margins that the church can most faithfully bear witness to Jesus, the Nazarene, which we've already been 
reminded of that fact in this text. He's the Nazarene. What does that mean? That means he's from the outskirts. He's the one from the outside. He's the one from the wrong side of the track. That's what it means to be a Nazarene, to be from the wrong side of the tracks, to be on the margins of the community, not in the seats of power, not in the seats of wealth. The church does its best work, really its only Christian work, when we are at the margins, when we have been pushed to the, to the end. That is where the church grows. That is our calling. That is our calling in this text. That is the calling in Acts for us. Pastor Kevin, if y'all will come and lead. We're going to sing one final song. We're reminded of what it means to be a holy church. Holiness is about being separate from the systems and power of our world. Holiness is about being reconciled from the old ways of living in the world. Not being brought into the seats of power, but being rejected by the seats of power. May that be our place as Christians here in Manchester and all around the world, where we can do our best work as a counterculture against those old ways of living. Let's sing one more song. Let's all stand as we sing, as you're all on the altar.